Hello and welcome to a Pair of Dice Lost podcasting channel. My name is Brendan and we are doing another episode of Let the Good Dice Roll. Uh, as always, I am joined by... Christina. All right, Christina, we took a week off for parties and Halloween and whatever. Yeah. We recorded two episodes on, in one night just so you guys would have something every week though. But yeah, we kind of tried to enjoy our Halloween weekend a little bit. Yeah, we're going to... I think that there might be a point where we have to record like three episodes in a night. Yeah. So I went on vacation for a week for the first week of December. And then Brendan and Julie are going on vacation for a week pretty much, what, like a week after I get back maybe? Uh, more or less, yeah. And we're going to be out for like two of the nights that we normally record this. Yep. So we might have to actually have like a three episode night. Yep, that we will have content for yep. every week. It'll be fun. It'll be fine. Everything. But be I'll fine. make sure it gets all set up so then we still have content for this. Um, so we're going back into uh, Exalted Sessions. And if we play our cards right, hopefully this will end the first major story arc that I ran. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how far we get with that. All right. Well, then you're the one with the notes in her lap. So uh, if you want to start us off. All righty. So this session is session something. I'm not keeping track anymore. What, six, I want to, I want to say it's session six. Six or seven. We'll go with that. I'll count later. It'll be fine. Uh, so this started on Sunday, like all of our resulted sessions did. It was February 19th, 2017. And the whole group is on their way back to Great Forks. And Seeker being Seeker, we mentioned last time he had these lovely little shadows that he liked to put on people. And yep. so he decided to put a shadow on Tally. Doesn't really say how that worked out, but probably not well, if I remember correctly. Uh, it, Tally did not pass her, uh, to my knowledge, did not pass her uh, perception check on it. So basically any of the information and any of these things that happened during Tally's um, personal plot during this game uh seeker is knowledgeable about that's basically the the the, the shadow uh elementals literally have no damage capabilities they're oh literal... i know there's just spies yeah they're just spies because he he was the former spy master of the group so so this one's this one's a little interesting because our group kind of splits up so i've the... got sections and chunks of what each person has done. This is actually one of those things that I prefer to do as a GM, especially on roleplay heavy sessions, is to give everybody 15 to 30 minutes at, in, like, in the spotlight. Yeah, 30 is a little much, but, I mean... It depends on how long you're running for a game. If you're running for five people for six hours, 30 minutes is not that bad. Yeah, that's not that bad. That's true. Uh, so, I'll start with this. Uh, we would had a, a weird dream about hands pounding on... Um, two large double doors and there's a female voice that was calling out his normal name not his exalted name his regular name which uh, if i recall was young zong dao something like that yeah uh and he ends up waking up with head pains that's literally this is what happens on the wid great forks for him so when we arrive at great forks we dock there with no problems and Tally makes it hard for so, people to pinpoint her by asking about where all these things were. Um, so to point out a couple of things that I recall from this is um, by no problems, uh, normally a flying boat would be a problem. Well, Seeker, Seeker all, bribed the Dockmaster. Seeker did, Seeker did bribe the Dockmaster, but 
also, I recall looking at you guys and being like, really? You're bringing a flying boat right in? And then John went, no, 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 no. Like a mile outside of here, we're going to turn it into, turn it into, like, we're going to have it go to boat form. <laughs> and we're like, going to land sail up. the flying boat into the water so it looks like a normal people up. boat. <laughs> but the funny thing about that that John did not realize is, is that because creation is a flat earth, there's technically no horizon, so people can see as far as, like, the normal eye can see on, like, the plains, which is about, like, three to five miles, if I recall. So, like, the entire city still sees, like, a flying fucking boat. I don't remember it being an issue, though. I just remember Seeker bribed Master and Because Seeker bribed people! Yeah, it was just like, you saw nothing... I think he, like, bribed them and persuaded them because he was very social as that yes, character. Yes, he, uh, he had a lot of bureaucracy charms to help out with that. I mean, it makes sense with what his cast was, so. All right. This is when we actually start breaking off after we get into the dock. We break off and kind of have our own little side adventures for everybody. Back to Wayward. He ends up going to the opera house and finds his family still there. His family is a group of traveling circus people. Well, They're a bunch of carnies that basically they... We met them earlier. Really you guys had so. met them earlier, but I don't think I gave really a description of what they did. I know we uh, we talked about we were rolling around with them and watching them kind of like pickpocket people and Yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't recall that from re-listening to our episodes, but... Uh... If but not, now it's on there now. Yeah, no, it's on there now. Um, they're basically a group of traveling performers uh, where that half of them are actual performers, which Wayward came from the half that actually performs, and the other half are like pickpockets. Yeah. They are not liked in a lot of cities. Anyways, his little sister runs up to him and asks if uh, he's seen their mom because she disappeared the same time Wayward had the dream, ironically enough. Weird. Right? Very weird. Right? He ends up going into the Mons, which is the opera house, and asks Delilah for help on how to get the Mons spirits to talk to him. And Delilah, being Delilah, gives him her usual sassy replies. He still ends up talking to the spirits and learns that his mom was trying to get in, and they had told her to go away. If I recall, the the spirits kind of had a very... um. Their voices and their kind of personalities were kind of a very, like, bored usher at a movie theater for some of them. Or, like, the snack people were, like, the almost personifications of those old, Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. I don't remember. That wasn't my part of the session to pay attention to. I just took notes. Right. Yeah, no, I, I recall that they were both bored and excited about people coming in. But because Wayward had never given anyone permission to enter his mons, the spirits that uh, are in his mons block the door from anyone coming in. Even his own mother! Next is a sort of Percival. <laughs> He ends up going down a dirty alley and gives a sandwich that he took. Oh, he takes a falafel 
He went to the falafel center and got a falafel. Yeah, he went to a falafel court and got a falafel, and he gives a sandwich to a street urchin. Um, and this street urchin was trying to pickpocket him unsuccessfully, and he gives him a sandwich. Uh, so the child- If I recall, there was, like, a really, like, stupid athletics role, and the child, like, just botched, and Craig got- so many successes, I was just like, yeah, no, you just dope-ass parkour his ass. Like, you just school him. The kid's only eight, by the way. And the name you gave him, I I don't know what you were doing with your life. <laughs> what is it? Peter File. I don't know what I was doing with my life. That is really wrong. That is terrifyingly wrong. I don't know. It doesn't say specifically that it's his name. He said a name of, like, Pedro file? Like... I mean, that's... It's written down. It's not saying it's his name, but the way it's put in there, it's in capitals, and it's written out like a name, so I'm assuming you you wrote that as his name. That or he gave him some information on a man named Peter file, which is honestly a well, little no, no, bit no, more no, disturbing. Because, because the, the information he got in exchange for giving him the food was that the kid mentioned that there was a cult of sunshade appearing and taking down Neptolia statues. Which was from, from Devin's super successes. Yeah, that was from last... Se- Seeker praising sunshade and having people follow in, in, them. In the last time you guys were in uh, Great Forks. Yeah. There's also a priest named Father Jess, who's a big preacher, and, uh, and it says that a lot of people are going missing... Uh, and that's apparently somewhat normal at this point. So the high priest of Tailspinner has also gone missing, and lots of not-local gods have been hanging around lately as well. So um, a lot of that is that grateful... So one... Oh, it, I have his name! His name uh, is on the next page! The uh, kid, the church's name was Dag. The kid's name was Dag. I don't know okay. why Peter File was capitalized. It's literally Peter, capital P, and then File, capital F. Okay. So I have no I'm idea. really worried about what the fuck I was implying there. <laughs> Holy know. shit. Okay, so um, one of the reasons that a lot of uh, newer gods were coming to town is that Great Forks is a very... Oh, I was going to say, I've got like two sentences left when we go off on a Okay, changes. okay. So, there's lots of religious people preaching, and the temple district is a mess. And as uh, Percival's leaving the urchin, he notices someone has pickpocketed him, like, successfully pickpocketed him, and took some silver. So, he goes after the guy. It's kind of an ugly, ugly looking guy. That's literally what I have written down. Kind of ugly looking guy. Is that where his thing ends? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's where the, the parkour, that's where the dope-ass parkour yeah. stuff comes in. Okay, so, to continue my thought from before, um, I believe I had mentioned before that because you guys had gone to Great Forks, you all basically started up, like, a murder countdown where the, every single day that you all weren't there and solving the murder mystery, yep. I was rolling for, like, Oh, I know. Rand- well. I was rolling for, like, random people or, uh, or like, random things to start getting, like, murdered. And that included lesser gods. Uh, there's a bunch that I just kind of just went, okay, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. There's Breeze, there's a Less sheriff. to manage. <laughs> Le- less to manage here, and they're getting murdered. So this is giving, like, this story arc more um, gravitas as more people are getting murdered. 
But I was going to say sense of urgency. But... Sense of urgency also. Uh, both of them kind of work. Um, so because that Great Forks is a very spiritually led city, um, as we'll find out later, um, new as that there's uh, new uh, openings for gods to gain worship, that's why that new gods are coming in. Makes sense. Okay, so next up. Visionary. Hmm. Yeah. So he goes to the drug fields, and there's a lot of druggy, blank stares looking back at him of the people that are there. Um, he ends up snapping his fingers to get one's attention, um, and as he's doing it, the foreman, who's this boxy dude, comes over and tells him to leave them be so that they can work, which makes sense. So they talk about the job, how they're treated, etc., etc. And Visionary mentions that he might be willing to buy some Jala. And to remind people, Visionary is a Jala in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they talk and mention, and he mentions to the guy in the slave quarters, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that could work with him. That he could work with him under the table, uh, which is what Visionary says he would prefer. And uh, apparently there's this big age range on slaves. And the guy, the slave trader's name is you. You, yep. Persona reference right there. That's the canon name for, or that's the canon first name for the uh, uh, main character for Persona 4. Remember, I've only played like a little bit to none of Persona, so. That's, that's fine. Good you'll, to know. That's fine. Next year, Persona Royal comes out, so you'll have to deal with me playing that constantly. Eh, it's fine. Whatever. I don't mind watching people play games. Then we go to Seeker. So. Actually, before yes, actually, I do want to say more about that. So the drug fields and everything—that is not my invention. That is actually canon to Great Forks. That's a lot of their trade because um, drugs and things that uh, we here in the in the real world would consider uh, illegal narcotics are a huge trade and totally legal and legit in creation. and basically what do they do is they, uh, for their slave trade, um, they drug their slaves out and make them work the fields. Uh, they still give them, you know, a place to sleep, blah, 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 but it's still shitty compared to, like, everyone else. Not necessarily as bad as Nexus does it, but it's still pretty, like, scummy. Makes sense. Not great. Makes sense. Oh, this is a whole, like, half a page paragraph for Seeker. I mean, that makes sense. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah. And this was also, like, my... I want to say this session was my plot dump for you and him. Yeah, yeah, no, because I have to deal with a very particular NPC that I still harbor such great hatred to to this day. He can go die in a ditch. I can't wait to ever get you to read Malazan and then Dancer ever show up in Malazan. Because you're just going to, like, yeet that book across the table. Oh, don't use that word. You're going to very... It's already been used. It's too late. I know. Alrighty, so Seeker. Listen, I don't care how much you hate that word. That word is, like, I love it. So many people use it anymore. It's, I can't escape it, no matter what. Do you want me to just read this whole block of text and then comment on it? Is that what we want to do? Tell you do? what, how about I read the block of text this time and you comment on it? 
Oh, do you, can you read my uh, my? List? Yes, I can actually. You okay. do not have uh, serial killer handwriting, unlike me. But can you read it in the? So some uh, actually, secrets probably isn't that out of order. Some of them are very like you have okay. to know what you're looking for to put it in the right way. So I'm gonna just read this without trying to give any comment, unless of course that Christina stops me and uh-huh. asks me for comment. On. Okay, I'll just read the whole thing. It's fine. Okay, so Seeker goes to find uh, old Mother Raisin. Uh, she's likely in the slave district. Uh, he sees an ugly guy walk off uh, in the direction of Percival. Finds Mother Rainton. She is smoking a long pipe. Next to her is a middle-aged woman of average... Oh, no, no, I'm letting you do this. I'm letting you do this now. There's, like, little notes that, like, Uh wrap around Uh the... There's, like, little notes that wrap around, like, the holes in the page. So I'm like, that's average in... And then I have to turn the book to read. Well, that's what I said. I want to see you try and read my notes. (laughs) She's average in everything. Um, Basically looks uh, intelligent. She just kind of looks like a very plain Jane kind of person. Uh, Seeker tries to read the intention of Old Mother Rayton and wants to make a deal. Also, uh, at some point, he learns that the average looking person's name is Shinobu. Mm -hmm. That's another reference I'll tell you in a little bit. Um, The other lady playing Jane Wan is Shinobu. Okay, I see where the notes are kind (laughs) of wrapping around. Okay. She's Rayton's granddaughter. And is waiting for a friend to come back. Uh, Rayton looks at Seeker's hands for a weapon. And Rayton mentions uh, the high priest of Tailspinner going missing. Devolves in, This basically devolves into a dick measuring contest between Seeker and Old Mother Rayton. Uh, basically them talking about, oh, my spy network is this big. My spy network is this big. I work for this guy. Yo, I've worked for this guy. This it, is my ally. This is my ally. Everyone has allies. Everyone has allies. How are you going? Like, it basically turns into, like, two spies from opposing countries, like, going against each other, but it's then kind of... Let's just compare it to Wayfarers. <laughs> or trade princes. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, could be. Uh, Seeker asks if everyone that went missing was paid off by her. Uh, Seeker figures out that she has a good idea about the disappearances. And the disappearances seem to be a benefit to Rayton on occasion. Uh, she mentions this. Uh, Rayton talks about how people might just be gone, removed from existence. Example, she can't find her best person anywhere. No trail... Trace, uh... You got this? They go They go to bed one night and then gone the next. Cool. <laughs> so. Fuck Shinobu, by the way. Long yeah, so, <laughs> by the way, uh, I'll, I'll get to that once that, that identity gets revealed. Actually, fuck both of them. I don't like either one of them. Raiden was a fucking bitch to you, and Shinobu is... A fucking bitch. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, if I knew a better way to run one on six, six combat, she might not have been such a bitch. I mean, we'll get to what happens to her, but it ended fine. It ended fine. <laughs> then we move on to Talisman. Unless you want to make any more comments on their interactions. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty self-explanatory. The only thing I want to 
talk about, uh, you know, the only thing I want to talk about is, is that Shinobu is another JoJo reference. To what? Shinobu is the fake wife to Kira Yoshikage from Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable. I'm not that far. I know you're not that far <laughs> of it. Kira Yoshikage is the stand user of Killer Queen. I mean, I knew Killer Queen was involved in this somehow, so. But to Tally, she goes to talk to the guild, and I have shopping with, like, three really big exclamation points in all caps, because that's what she decided to do with her life. She ends up talking to the trading services for goods so that she can craft for us and get supplies and things of that nature. Uh, and they'll get back to each other. And what's nice is she... Oh, yeah, she was making deals with, like, the guild, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's the, nice oh. thing is she had resources three, so or what? somebody in our group had resources three. I don't know if she specifically had it, but I know she had Visionary... It or someone else did. I know Visionary had some resources Once it were well. done with Talisman's thing, I would like to explain the guild, because that is something that we never explained. Yeah, well, because it was never relevant, and I it forgot never, that we was... actually ran into them at one point. Mm -hmm. Well, interacted with them at one point. Uh, but then she also runs into someone she knows named Surgeon, which I think we've mentioned Surgeon before. Surgeon is... I don't is know if we have or not. Her buddy from her uh, personal session, who um, is an abyssal. I don't know if we knew that yet or you not. You guys did not know that yet, but he is a... He's basically a plague doctor. He looks and acts like a yeah. fucking plague doctor. And um, he... Basically, the first town that she showed up in, um, he was there, and he was like, hey, these people are sick. Can you, uh... I think we've mentioned that, but we haven't really we talked mentioned about that, it. We mentioned that, but we didn't mention who Surgeon was. So Surgeon is one of the, uh, is an abyssal, and basically they cured bone puppet plague? Uh... I, I want to say it wasn't Bone Puppet Plague. No, it, might have it was, I want to say it was Bone Puppet Plague in that city, which is ironic because, um, basically, so Bone Puppet Plague is a plague where that your skeleton becomes animated and has its own sentience and then rips itself out of, out of your own meat suit yep. after a while. So it's really fucking terrifying, but the reason that she cured it is because he wanted to know if there was a cure for it, which at the time there wasn't because he made it. Yeah, that is. Funny. He's an abyssal. Yeah, he's he's he's. Well, we had that running theory for a while that he was the one who did the plague just so they could come in and be the hero and fix it and get the praise. Which he didn't. Is know, he not didn't know a terrible thing to do if you want to like it's have, not a, a, terrible have a thing town to do like in, endeavor to, to you. To have a town endeavor to you and also to have. Is that, I don't know. Endeavor is the word I want, but I, to have a town that likes you, but also have the ghosts of the people who died if you're shit at your job, also like you if you tried to cure it, because abyssals are all about ghosts and yep. making ghosts love them because they're the. Exalts of the Underworld. Anyways, so he's here kind of for a break. And Tally decides that she's hungry and asks about a place to eat here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says he knows a good local god who can cook, so they end up going to... Wait for it. Guy Ramsey's Ramshackle Seafood Shanty. <laughs> which is like a hibachi place. And they end up waiting for a little bit before this multi... This multi-armed mouth, multi-armed, multi-mouth man thing <laughs> comes 
comes out with an attractive human face. So he's got multiple mouths, multiple arms, but an attractive <laughs> face. The basic description of him is... Oh, by the way, he's he, also a god. He has he's a, a god who's in, like, a chef apron, and he's got this really attractive face. But then off of each of his hands, like, he's got, like, two really short hands that end in, like, Vampire Hunter D mouths that then have two hands, or two arms with hands come out of, with it then have... Just like the little picture there. Yeah, that then have, like, more hands come out of. So he's got, like, 16 hands. And he's just, like fucking flailing around um if you're familiar with my hero academia it's kind of like that dude who can make the has like the weird tentacle like eye stalks uh-huh. and everything except just hands and mouths it makes me think of uh he gets robin off of one piece yeah yeah okay yeah pretty sure that's it it's been a while since i've watched one piece yeah no that that is totally robin's power set besides the hands it's just or besides the mouse. It's just hands coming out of hands. Yeah, that was her whole thing. And then she makes hands that turn into a giant foot later on. It's weird. I don't remember. I'm, I haven't watched it in a while. I'm only past, like, the time skip arc. Really. I think that's literally where the giant foot shows up. Maybe. It's possible. Who knows? I don't. Somebody does. You're weirdly close to where I am in that. I also haven't watched it since I was in college. I forgot how fucking old this show was, goddammit. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't been in college in quite a while. Then we have my character, Storm, who is off trying to collect information. Oh, oh, before we get into that, I need to explain the guild. Oh yeah, good guild. Okay, so the guild is a guild of traders and merchants based out of Nexus. We do not deal with Nexus in this campaign because Nexus is a shit show and I fucking hate it. Well, did, was that Gem or Nexus that we decided that, well, I decided that was going to take a brunt of a punishment? Uh, Nexus. Yeah, so Nexus. <laughs> um, they're a bunch of traders, uh, traders, not traitors, um, who basically run the biggest guild and merchant empire in creation. Um, they are everywhere. If you piss off the guild, you're basically super fucked. Um, Even the realm has to, like... The realm doesn't have to kneel to the guild, but, like, as far as, like, powers go, like, the three top are going to be the realm, Lookshy, and then the guild. Lookshy. I'm biased. Completely and utterly biased, and I'm willing to admit it on Lookshy. It's fair. Okay, so let's get going before uh, this takes too long. (laughs) So Storm. Storm is kind of wandering through the temple district, and she hears this man loudly yelling, and he's basically talking about, like, like how no one's following a real savior. And he... This is the dude with the box, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. Wait, keep going, keep reading. He he moves when people stop paying attention and then restarts his rant. He looks similar to uh, Visionary. Like, he has uh, red pockmarks instead of black, and he's in a uh, green and red costuming with, and he's gesturing weirdly. If I remember correctly, he's literally this guy who has a box, he sets the box down, stands on top of the box, preaches and talks, and then when nobody pays attention, he gets off the box and moves the box and keeps no, going. Do you know who that is? Yes, I know who it is now. Yeah. I In, in hindsight, I know who it is. That's fucking Jester. I know. Like I said, in hindsight, I know who it is, but you've also told me that, like, way in the 
past and the future of this campaign and the past of now. Uh, so we didn't know who the fuck this was, but I was kind of keeping an eye on him for a little bit because it was just awkward. But we're also in a very religious town, so it's not weird to see people preaching. It was just the way he was going about it that was odd. So Storm paid attention to him and then kind of moved on. Uh, oh, never mind. That reminds me, because he was sitting and preaching about uh, a, a she. So Storm yep. threw her voice and asked who the she was, and he said it was the maiden under the waves. Which is the first canonical mention of the main villain of this campaign. Yep. Uh, Storm also sees this torn down statue of Neftolius, and then that there's a statue of Sunshade in its place. And then she sees this cloaked figure standing on the roof with a rope in a hand and a child by the scruff in the other. And the child's just a little girl, and she's very pale. And then the person, because um, the, the noose is around uh, the kid's neck. So he basically takes the child and throws the child off the roof and pulls the rope taut. Now, if you recall from, I want to say, the first or second episode, Storm's limit, is, limit uh, trigger is... Literally seeing the harm come to innocent children. Yep, seeing purposeful harm come to innocent children. Intentional harm come to innocent children. Yep. And that's where that part for Swarm ends. And then we move back to Wayward for a hot minute. He is freaking out about his mom missing. And his brother says that he may have to, uh, <clears throat> to lead to... I felt so bad about this. Oh, his brother is uh, basically tells him that they might have to leave to where the mom is, but he has to swear allegiance to a little god of the Hundred Kingdoms. So he goes on the stage and plays a song to reach our circle, and some of us end up noticing it. Kind of like reaching out to be like, hey, shit's going on, here's this song, come here, come to us, please. And then we have Percival again, who's still chasing down this person who stole from him. He ends up catching him and getting his money back. Uh, and he does the same thing with the other children as he did before, where he's just kind of giving them food and doing what he can to help them. And then he runs into Troll. Yeah, I love Troll. It's just it's just me pretending to be Danny DeVito. It's so fun. It's just, hey, you want to, you got to pay the Troll toll if you want to get into this boy's hole. Can you never say that again? <laughs> Have you never seen that episode of It's Always Sunny? I don't... Okay, we've had this conversation before. I've only seen, like, a hot handful so there's a, of, of so there's It's Always a, Sunny. So there's a musical episode of It's Always Sunny. And, and basically, the line is, you have to pay the troll toll if you want to get this boy's soul. Mm-hmm. But Danny DeVito continuously mispronounces it as... Gotta pay the troll toll if you want to get this boy's hole. Danny fucking DeVito. Danny fucking DeVito. <laughs> Back to Visionary, who is still dealing with this Jala slave bullshit. He ends up going to the illegal area of the slave quarters, which is the Panda Mill. And he pays for a tour of the meat cubes. I don't know why it's called a meat cubes, but that's what it is. And he ends up breaking out 40 to 45 Jala against them in these brown cloaks to kind of disguise them a little bit. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they're Jala, so he, they're little. And I want to say that he one-shots fucking, uh, the, the... You? Yeah, you. Probably. He ends up rushing them off, and the money he took from you safe to the boat. So that's visionary. 
Then back to Seeker, who is still in an info dicking competition. Literally says info dicking competition continues, which doesn't surprise me. <laughs> we do find out that Rayton is um, god blooded. Yes. To the goddess of secrets. Rayton is also a canon uh, exalted NPC. We didn't know that. Yeah. Actually. So. Uh, Literally does what what I had her do in in this. Huh. That's interesting. Well, so while this is happening, Seeker is able to hear the music and feel because uh, vision, uh, not visionary, uh, Wayward went full iconic to give this performance so that we would all be able to to figure it out and know where to go. So he's able to hear the music and sense like the iconic nature about it, and um, <clears throat> Rayton uh, and Shinobu end up looking a second before the iconic happens, so to speak. And uh, they all kind of agree to work together. So, alliance! Yay! Then we go back to Talisman, who's looking for a spot to relax. And uh, just kind of hang out with a surgeon. But she also ends up uh, going back to Wayward's Mons, I think, to relax. I don't think she ended up hearing the music and that kind right. of thing. Uh, so, back to Storm. She can. So this guy has a hood, so his face is obscured, but she can literally feel him looking at her. Like she knows that he was looking at her and this crowd of people while he, you know, hung the small child. Uh, so he ends up, like, dropping the child, and she and he like runs off. So she goes, like, Storm goes up, grabs the kid, sets the kid on the ground, and beelines up the building after him. And it's this rugged man with long black hair who's very tall. He's got two chain weapons and a noose. This is an enchanted noose, surprise. Uh, and he says that he wants the mask. Because fuck that mask. He says it's his master's mask, and the, ma the master is a she- which we should have all figured it out then yep. and there. Um, and he has a bleeding day mark. Because when uh, Abyssal Exalted uh, go iconic, their uh, cast mark on their forehead starts bleeding. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a darkened version of the solar mark. And Storm is the night cast. This guy has a day mark. So they are the, they are the same version of each other. As in, like, the night cast is the assassin, the spy master, whatever, for the solars, the day cast, it does the same job, but for abyssals. Mm -hmm. she, yep. she finds out that his name is Dancing Noose in the Shadows, aka Dancer, and uh, she tries to intimidate him to tell her who the leader's name is, and have a break social barrier... Uh, oh, about a major infant. Yeah, I ended up fucking with him socially because I end up doing that really well without meaning to. You you have a tendency to see my NPCs and go, okay, like, suddenly, like, a slot machine comes up and you go, here's an intimacy I can ping on. Yeah, and, like, and it's like, you don't know it, but it just, just kind of know my NPCs. I knew nothing about this dude except that he works for, like, He's a day cast, works for some master who wants this mask, such as she, and somehow is able to ping on the intimacy, he's a major intimacy of he won't betray his leader. And I just somehow fucking figured that out with barely knowing who this person is. 
They end up fighting. And I rolled like shit. And he rolled fairly well. Yeah. If I recall in my notes, I could probably bring them up at some point to show them to you. Uh, because I kept notes for uh, whenever I ran a session. Mm-hmm. But literally my session notes for you and him are have a three round long combat of a dope ass ninja fight across the rooftops. Yeah. But I just, I rolled like shit and he was rolling pretty well. So it started going downhill for a storm pretty bad, pretty quickly. So Seeker ends up getting involved and firing arrows at this dude to get him away from me. And, uh... Dancer ends up perfect dodging them and dips out. Mm-hmm. And that's how that session actually ends, is him d- dip setting. Okay, so we're back. Uh, we're going to do the next session. Yeah, we're going to get through this one, and then I'll probably it. Uh, since it's about three pages worth of notes, we probably won't have time for questions afterwards, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry guys, you'll have to wait for the next episode to get some questions answered. And feel free to send in questions about Exalted, World of Darkness, D&D, I'll put, all, I'll put all of that stuff at the end. I'm just saying it now because I want okay, to. Okay, well, you know Video what? games. Multiple plugs are always good. Uh, so this I next session... I'll do a plug at the beginning next time. Meh, oh well. I don't really care. It's fine either way. So this one is the next session. It started on Sunday, March the 5th of 2017 and it's basically started off where we left off in the last one where Seeker ends up helping me like deter this dude off and so Seeker and Storm go to meet up with uh are going to go and meet up with everybody else but first Storm peeks over the edge to see where the child's if the child's body's still down there and it is so she basically like sneaks down there while Seeker has this big speech uh to everyone and you know some of them by the speech, some of them don't. It happens. At this point, wasn't he anima flaring too? Because he yes, like he was yeah, hardcore anima flaring hard, to help like, bonfire anima yep. flaring because he came because he used athletics charms to get across the city yep. and then used a bunch of his archery charms to help fend off dancer. Yep. But while he's you know distracting them, Storm goes down, grabs the girl's body, and then they dip it out of there and head towards the mons to meet up with everybody. Was this where you got your first point of limit? Yes. Okay. And that was where I got my first point of limit. And I wrote fuck dancer over it, so I remember what it was for. Fair. Because every every point of limit I received during this game had an interesting reason, and I always wrote fuck this. The, the next one I wrote fuck Faye, which will come up later. But right. <laughs> and that's when I started hating Faye, was at that, that limit point. <laughs> uh. Faye are, like, my favorite thing to throw at players... But Faye have an entire rulebook that I fucking hate, which is weird because Faye play almost like mages, which I, I love Mage the Ascension. It's literally my favorite World of Darkness game. But like, I can't deal with Faye and they're, they're too much. They're just imagination given like fucking like no bounds. Eh. Yeah, probably. That's probably the actual Also, if you play Faye, you're basically the bad guys. Like, hard, like Abyssals, you can be like, maybe we're the bad guys. With everything else, it's like, maybe we're the bad guys. With Faye, it's like, no, you're hard the bad Except guys. Except for Infernals. Infernals are just kind of the Infernals bad guys. are also hard the bad guys. And now chemicals can be hard the bad guys to everybody else. Depending on everything with them that's going on. Everyone ends up meeting up at uh, Wayward's Mons, which is the Opera House. 
and we get to meet Surgeon, who came in with Tally. He has uh, no visible skin, and he's wearing a Plague Doctor mask, which we mentioned earlier. Then there's this androgynous being that's just rushing up to everyone. They're covered in furs, have a stone weapon, and a Raptox skull over their head. Surgeon calls him Voice. So this is our first meeting of Voice. Right. Voice is one of his circle. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a Malazan reference to the Talana Moss, who are basically um, uh, animated skeletons. Hmm. Uh, and his uh, his uh, name, I can't remember his exact title off the top of my head, but his name is a reference to the song A Voice Born of Stone and Dust. I feel like I've heard that said before. I don't know. That sounds really familiar. At this point, it's about midday, and Wayward tells us that his mom is missing. And he also takes... We also take care of the little girl's body, because Wayward is basically our priest, so he's able to, you know, lay her to rest. Um, Without a ghost coming up. Yeah, we don't want any angry ghosts. You do not want an angry ghost. They are rough to deal with. And then we get to meet this other person who's in a red war strider and their name is author. He's not a, it's it, so I retconned it. He's not in a red war strider. I did retcon it at some point. He's in a red power armor. Yeah. Um, he, uh, so, um, when you vision him, think of basically Napa. He's just this giant bald man. He's just a giant bald man in like, Space Marine power armor, basically. He looks even bigger than he actually is because of the power armor. But a War Strider, if he was in an actual War Strider, he would be about 15 feet tall, as opposed to, like, 8. Look, I just said what the notes have. That's fair. I mean, I'm just... I'm retroactively correcting it. That's fine. He comes up to us and he says he's here to help, so we're all just like, who the hell are you? And uh, Surgeon says, oh, he's with me. It's fine. And he ends up being kind of smitten with Tally, which is kind of cute. And then the next person to show up, because we're just meeting all the NPCs at this point, is someone named Will. And we find out he's basically Percival's counterpart to the group. I was very big on uh, the, the this specific abyssal circle, basically. Um which is different from the Abyssal Circle of enemies, basically having um, these guys uh, are counterparts to you, but in, like, they're still trying to be good guys-ish, but they're Abyssals. They can only be as good as they can be. They can only be as good as they can be. They offer a very interesting... Basically, it's because I had the bad guys are weird Abyssals, and then you guys are good solars. I wanted to have kind of like a middle gray area of abyssals just to kind of show that like not all abyssals are terrible and like... We haven't gotten to that argument yet. That's probably like another session or two away. That entire argument is going to be an entire episode. I think we could just summarize that argument very quickly in that one of our party thought all abyssals were evil. We didn't all agree to that. We can make. We'll worry about that. We'll when we worry come. about that when we get. We will to burn it. that bridge when we come to it. Oh, that bridge gets fucking burned. But so at also, this point, also when that bridge gets burned, I have to start explaining about the Southern game. 
That's fine. We can worry about that, too. Uh, so at this point, we've met uh, Voice, we've met Surgeon, we've met Author, and we've met Will. And they say that the fifth member of their group is a female, and she's in the South right now. And then we get to meet another NPC. He's a short young man with shocking red hair. He moves with this kind of wonderful grace about him. He's got bright neon green eyes, and his name is Star. So if you sit and look long enough into his eyes, stars start to show up, which is kind of funny. But he comes up and he puts a mask on Seeker and Seeker basically debonfires. So he's not flaring his iconic anymore. Mm -hmm. Star is actually Tally's five dot ally. Yeah. Um, He is a sidereal of secrets, journeys. He's either Journeys or Secrets. I want to say he's Journeys because he was chosen to help Tally on her journey. I have it written down somewhere because I remember I literally made a spreadsheet of NPCs. Yeah. I want to say he's Journeys, but I could be wrong. Uh, Journeys seems thematically appropriate. He's Journeys now, no matter what anything else says. I'm sure it'll come up later and we'll be able to tell you the correct answer to that. Mm-hmm. And then three more people walk up. <laughs> it's two women, which are Rayton and his and uh, her granddaughter Shinobu, and then a scarred up looking man who was the thief that stole Percival's money, and his name is Savage Wraith. Mm-hmm. So Rayton is leaning on another, her. Another, um, another canon exalted NPC. Didn't know that either. Yep. Like, I, I don't know a lot of the NPCs in the world of Exalted. I just know more about the world and, like, mm-hmm. the different um, exaltation Well, I had types. to really, like, deep dive into every single place you guys went. Which gets really fucked up, which gets really problematic when that we go to places that are only in third edition and, like, there's nothing extra written about it. What happens? Uh, but Rayton's leaning on her staff and is wearing funeral attire. She's short, and she seems to carry that air of respect about her. And the man has this deathly expression, but very confident steps, uh, single sword, and these milky eyes. And then Shinobu... He is a nightcast sword, I recall. I don't remember. I really don't remember. Uh, Shinobu has a sleek fire wand with long white hair and with black streaks. And she's very observant, but she's just dressed very plainly as well. So, long white hair with black streaks. Another reference to uh, Kiri Yoshikage from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. That's his final form after he acquires um, Killer Queen Bites the Dust. His hair goes from black to like white with black streaks. Some point I'll catch up. I have to find a way to catch up. You're going to get to that point and just be like, God damn it, Brendan! God damn it! Why did you just rip this off and then gender bent this character? Wow! <laughs> so Storm ends up going off to the side to meditate, but is still kind of paying attention to what's going on. And uh, so Will, because I, I just realized I didn't give a description of Will, really. Um, he's an ashen-skinned man with a knife and a sword that's sheathed. And in my side panel, I have uh, General Leo from uh, FF6. Yes, he is literal. His his uh, 
his look is is lifted off of General Leo from Final Fantasy VI, which is a dark skinned man with uh, two swords, I believe. He, he General Leo is one of those interesting characters that I would just. He's really neat, but he's also he's like super loyal to his emperor, and then gets fucked over in the end because power. Mm. I guess spoiler for anybody who hasn't played that game yet. Yes, yeah, spoilers for a. 23-year-old game. Dumbledore dies. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. A hundred-year-old wizard dies. What a <laughs> surprise. I was going to make a Star Wars joke, but I decided not to. Uh, so, Savage Wraith also hits on Talisman, so she's at level two of being hit on at this point. Level two of being hit on. I, that's what I've written down. Man. If I recall, Talisman also had a really high appearance rating. Uh, so Talisman's appearance was five. Yeah, so no wonder she kept getting hit on. Yeah, Talisman had a, a five appearance. I don't. I think because Julia wanted to play a really pretty character. Like as that you'll hear if you listen to any of the Mage episodes, just any time that Jake is around with his uh, appearance five hobo, like things just kind of. Oh, Why don't you say that again? His appearance, appearance five hobo. His appe- Yo, he's really good at like the upkeep, despite he- him dressing in rags. I mean, you know what? If you've got appearance five, you can just walk around naked, like whatever. Yeah, it'll just attract more attention. Uh, so secret. That, that's the secret to getting appearance six. Mm-hmm. So secret <laughs> and storm notice uh, three forms off in the distance watching. And I'm going to go shortest to tallest, because that's how I've written down, because it's the easiest. I will make note that neither one of them recognize these people. So first off, the shortest one is a uh, a white male, I think? Yes, white-haired, probably. Yeah, white hair. There we go. White hair with flowing robes. They have a cane um, and a black scarf over their eyes. And then yep. next to it is a shock of red hair. It's also a gentleman. Uh, and they're skipping around the others. They have a buff jacket and tassels. And then the tallest one it has black hair and is leading the blind one. It's also a, a male. And they're watching the other two with kind of a brotherly intensity. So you told me that this was a reference to something that made Joe and Julia just flip their shit. So that is a reference to uh, three characters from another game um, who are the Sanders brothers. Um, at some point, we'll have if we if I never run that game, I'll have to uh, I'll have to explain them. But basically, they are uh, literally like character description lifted from uh, old roleplay characters from me, one of my friends uh, named Alex, and my buddy Dan. Oh, is Alex the one that you play uh, No, with? Uh, other Alex. Oh, okay. Uh, he's someone who I used to uh, roleplay online with. Um, but basically they are these characters who have shown up in a lot of games of mine and they're usually like weirdos or like harbingers of destruction. Um, they're, uh, they are literally like, here are our, here are our three OCs do not steal. (laughs) So the reason that this is so important is, is that the last game that I ran that had Joe and Julia in it. Those three showed up, and they were big fucking deals. Hmm. 
the other thing that I've, I don't think I've actually told you about this, and I think I might have told Julia about this, but I'm not 100% sure. Those were actually Dancer, Throne, and Jester using illusion magic to hide themselves. That wouldn't surprise me, so... Specifically but I, I, I literally well. put those three and gave them a description because I got a reaction out of Joe and Julia of, God damn it! No! No! We're not talking to them! No! Uh-uh! Uh-uh! And, we're I, not- and I think mine was... You don't see them. It's just Seeker and Storm that see them. Yeah. Because yeah. we're the two but, most observant and P- the two most observant PCs. You are the two most observant NPCs. Or the two most obser- observant PCs. But the two of them who didn't see them both went just like hands on their foreheads and just looked at me like, really? Really? Back to this. We end up going inside the opera house to get away from the crowd that's formed at this point because Seeker was iconic and all the music that's been played and just the bullshit that's been going on and all the people that are crowding around NPCs and us anyways. So there's a big group to crowd around the crowd. Uh, so we do learn a little bit about these new NPCs, peoples that we have met. We find out that Surgeon is good at healing people and dealing with diseases. Uh, Voice is a... Yeah, because he makes them. Voice is a diviner, a finder, and uh, something is obscuring his vision in this situation, this whole situation. Will is uh, well-versed in law and bureaucracy. bureaucracy. He's the uh, uh, Moonshadow cast. He's the Eclipse cast. Yeah. Or the abyssal version and of an Eclipse Ha-ha! Cast. Ha-ha! Star, chosen of journeys. <laughs> there we go! Hell yeah! I probably changed that around to secrets at some point just because I fucking forget. But yeah, no, he's totally chosen of journeys. Yeah, it literally says Chosen Journeys. Uh, we find out he's a sidereal and audits things. And uh, he pointed to Tally to kind of ward us in our circle. Like, he pointed Tally in our direction. Rayton admits that she runs the black market. And Star mentions a guy named Spinner of Glorious Tales. And, A.K.A. Tail Spinner. Which is one of the three gods of Great Force. Yep, that's actually what I was just about to say next. Mm. So... Uh, Look at that, I got some precog going on. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the, the three gods of Great Force. And we also found out that Neptolius was in the Temple District during the festival. And we, uh, and they basically asked those who could or would step up and perform art. So during the, the festival, everyone in the Temple District disappeared. Like, hundreds just disappeared. And... Star kind of chimes in with this and says that an essence explosion could have done this. We also find out uh, the two other gods of great force, which was the Weaver of Dreams of Victory and the Shield of a Different Day. So now we that'll, know that'll get brought up next session, probably. So now we know who the three gods are or were or yeah. what have you. And so we kind of mold around the idea of possibly jealous gods just doing this anarchy and making everything awful and basically having it as like a domino effect because if Neptolius goes missing and all the pretty people and artistic people start going missing that would worship her, then there's just no, nothing being done with that. Um, and Seeker decides to pull Star off to the side to give that the awful mask to. And Star wants a favor in return 
And that's for a seeker to join him in heaven. Yushan. Yeah. Well, I have heaven written down. I should have written Yushan, but I know mm-hmm. what I meant. Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. Um, and Tally has this great idea to go to the temple district and talk to the former priest of Natolius to get a description of her so that we can sculpt a statue of her. Kind of make it like a bait. Like, make this great statue of Natolius for people to come and try and tear down or fuck with and maybe we can catch who we're looking for. So we find out that Natolius has this blue feathered, like soft hair and blue eyes and is usually seen in like a kimono and she's very shapely. And I think if I recall, I actually asked Julia and went, describe Neftolius. Because Neftolius is actually a character from Julia's own canon. Mm-hmm. But we go to the Temple District to get a description of Neftolius. And like I said, we meet the former worshippers who now worship Sunshade. I mean, that helps out with you guys with cults and everything because that does help out later on. Worshipping people in, in Exalted actually helps out. Yeah. We also find out about the god of alchemical accidents. And apparently they have a vendetta against Neftolius. It's possible that maybe the god loved her or something along those lines. And Neftolius did not return the feelings. Look, she, she shouldn't have to. She shouldn't have to. She has a boyfriend. Yeah. Which comes and, up later. And it's dope. No, no. It oh, actually wait, got me. Oh, that's right. We, we did mention that earlier. earlier. Yeah. No. It's fucking uh, Dayman. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Tally ends up tripping and Savage Wraith helps her. And there's a theory that he tripped her just to touch her. And because- Yeah, I think that's right. And basically, at this point, I'm just watching, as, as Storm, I'm just watching this bullshit. So I, so Storm links arms with Tally, and they keep walking together, just to kind of be like, alright, these boys keep fucking with you, come here, come with me, I, I got you, boo. Especially since Tally is so blank slate right now, it's, mm-hmm. it's not. That, that start, I think that that was the real big part that really started the uh, Tally and Storm uh, friendship. Yeah, because it's like, I'm, I'm tired of these people fucking with you, so we're going to just stop this. But we get to the temple, and <laughs> they notice how beautiful Tally is. Uh, so Seeker, noticing this as well, lies and says that Talisman is a chosen of Natolius. And they talk about the god of explosions, and um, how he was always trying to make potions of love that exploded in her face, and seemed to make her prettier. I think that was the whole relationship they actually had then. Mm-hmm. That would make yep. sense. And at this point, it's evening now. And Tally is building the statue while Storm keeps watch. And Seeker and Wraith go off to do something. And when they come back, uh, Seeker and Storm end up talking. And Seeker and Visionary go off somewhere. Just kind of just random stuff that we were doing at that point. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, we have this magnificent Neftolia statue of awesome, is what I have written here. That that makes sense. Well, because Talisman's the crafter, so she's not going to do anything, you know, half done, terrible looking. Excuse me. Whew. Um, see, so what Seeker and Visionary end up going to do is they go to speak to the priests and try to learn about this... Oh, they talked to the, oh, it's the same priest that was on the box. The dude that's going around, like, moving the box and then, mm-hmm. like, preaching. So yep. they end up going to talk to him about the maiden beneath the waves. Uh, and he says that he does this, like, the 
pick the box up, move, preach, hit, pick the box up, move, and continuously do that. Um, because he did wrong by her. So he's doing this for penance. And, and, uh, he met her when she saved him from drowning, which waves drowning makes sense. Apparently, uh, he's preaching about her being the goddess of stability, and they can find her under the waves, which makes sense because of her name. And, uh, Jester doesn't remember what she looks like, but she's under the waves and is beautiful. Yeah, we learned yeah. his name that fucking early. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, so back to the statue. Tally and Storm are drinking tea and are letting the boys talk to people. And there's, like, a constant mention of a fire wand. And then Storm mentions Shinobu and Tally gets on that train of thought and says, uh, uh, so we're just, like, talking and, and somebody says, you know, uh, what is this? Sorry, I'm... Oh, yeah, never mind. I was wondering, I was like, what the fuck is this supposed to mean? But apparently there's a white figure, uh, think samurai panning towards you, when we say that, uh, what if Shinobu's the killer queen? When did that get said? There is a line that basically I just kind of, like, go off and just go, you've activated the third bomb, killer queen bites the dust. Which was a fate explosion that rewound time by about 30 minutes, if I recall. I don't remember. I just know that Shinobu basically fate dodges it. Like, she Shinobu was never with us, it but Savage Wraith, uh, we do remember he was there. So the reason for this is, is that Shinobu's ultimate ability was, hey, I'm going to give up all of my charms. And I'm going to put this bomb inside of you, Savage Wraith. And if you observe someone um, giving out my secret identity as the Killer Queen, um, fate is going to explode and you're going to be the epicenter of it. You're not going to die, but everyone around you is going to get dealt a fucking, like, fate-aggravated damage explosion. Yeah, so just, just imagine this beautiful statue... Talisman and Storm are just sitting there having tea. The boys are talking and doing their bullshit. And they're just talking back and forth. Like, like I recall as the game went on, like, they're talking. And then I hear off to the side, like, Julia and Christina going, Hey, what if Shinobu is the killer I don't remember I which. S- I don't remember which one of us said it. I think one we of, just were saying it back and forth. One of and you said it. it. But because Savage Wraith was there, and the boys were talking, and I just went, Yo, 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 shut the fuck up. What did you two just say? What if, what if Shinobu's the killer queen? And then I gave that whole description of like Savage like Savage Wraith being the epicenter of it and just like blowing up and time being rewound and like a bunch of mortals. Yeah, there was a lot of mortals in the area that just fucking died. <laughs> yeah. Because of this. It was It was awful. disgusting. It was awful. <laughs> Uh, so after this happens, we're all just like, what the actual fuck? And we confront Rayton uh, about where her granddaughter is. Like, where the fuck is Shinobu? And uh, apparently uh, she knew Shinobu was taking out underworld scum that was trafficking children, but she didn't know that uh, her granddaughter was killing people. That was her story. So Tally decides to flip the coin that she has and summon Star. 
she tells him that it's Shinobu that's been doing all this stuff and how she has been dodging fate as a result. So Star tells us uh, that Shinobu is heading towards the docks and Tally, Wayward, Storm get on Dooflord and Percival and Visionary go with uh, Percival carrying a Visionary. <laughs> Look. That's such a dumb fucking thing in my head. Look, that's what the notes say, man. I, I know, <laughs> I know, but that's still so fucking dumb in my head. But yeah, no, so the reason that Star could stop them is because Star is a fucking scenario, so he has kind of command over fate. And his journeys. And his journeys. So, like, he got the group there quicker than Shinobu could, because Shinobu basically, like, when um, Savage Race Bomb activates... They go back in time, like, 30 minutes, and then, like, fucking Shinobu's, like, aware that her fucking secret's about to be out. So she's just, like, dipping the fuck out. Yeah. Well, so the funny thing is, we get to the dock, we confront her, we start fighting her. Up on top of a building is Seeker next to Rayton, and they're just talking back and forth. (laughs) And apparently something lands on the roof. That's all I know about that. Something lands. I don't know. I don't. Oh, that's right. It's the little. It's, I think it's the 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 thing, the mechanical thing. Right, because I also gave uh, Shinobu the sheer heart attack ability, which was she had basically a fucking stand. Yeah. So we found out that all the spirits that had died were in the machine, so they weren't gone, gone, but they were trapped in there. Yep. Uh, and we end up fighting her, and, uh, we kill Shinobu, a.k.a. I might have cut her throat out. Yep. As Storm. Because that's how I do. I, if I remember correctly, for that battle, everybody was, like, distracting her, like, forward front fighting her, and I snuck the fuck around and, like, sneak attacked her and slit her throat with my, uh... You guys took her out way quicker than I thought that you would, which was kind of my thing of being, like... Maybe I should just fudge my dice sometimes, because holy shit is this girl not, like, getting a thing. Because she had abilities that were like, I'm gonna shoot my fire wands, and it's like, fire wands normally just shoot out gaps of fire. And she was gonna pull the trigger, and it was gonna look like nothing, but what she was actually shooting out was, like, air bubbles that had her explosion power in it. And they were basically gonna be like, I can't see this. Cool, roll me a perception roll, difficulty nine. Did you get three successes on, like, unless, of course, you excellency it, it, like, you know, you're probably not. Cool. Um, Roll me your soak versus, like, six damage. Like, it was supposed to be a really rough fight, but you guys fucking alpha struck her. Yeah. Well, like I said, distractions, and then literally I just snuck up and, like, slit her throat. So, Mm -hmm. with, with my hook swords. Yep. Uh, because these systems are extraordinarily deadly if you can get the attack on someone. You have, unless of course you, like, fucking spec into it, you have seven fucking health levels. That's why, um, like, Mage and Werewolf, like, you taking any kind of damage, it's fucking brutal. Yep. Uh, anyways, yeah, once this machine got destroyed and whatnot... Uh, there's two spirits that came out of it and spoke to Wayward, because he was the only one that could really speak to spirits. Mm-hmm. And we find out that there's spirits at the town. And as Shinobu dies, um, an older woman's hand falls out of her pocket, and it's Wayward, uh, Wayward's. Wayward's mom's hand. That's another JoJo reference, actually. Hmm. 
Just, just uh, so that is a reference directly to uh, Kiryu Shikage. He's a serial killer in part four, and hmm. his his um, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers for part four. Um, his obsession is um, women's hands because he, uh, as a child, got a boner looking at the Mona Lisa. I don't understand how that makes sense with hands, but whatever. Because the Mona Lisa is all like this. I don't know. It, it's fucking weird. I don't, I don't understand either. But anyway, so, like, the character in the anime is just, like, I love hands. And basically, he, he has that explosion power, and he'll do that to everything but the hand, and then he'll keep the hand with him throughout, like, weeks, and, like, talk to it, this decomposing hand, like it's a real person. Hmm, instead of... Because it can't talk back, I'm assuming. So I, I have no fucking clue. It's, I would it's hope fuck- that he ends up talking back. But who knows? Maybe in somebody's head it does. You know what? I really want to see an episode of, like, Jojo Abridged where it's like the hand is just like, Hello, Kira! Why didn't you fucking kill me? Oh my god, I could have kissed you. You're so cute. But now I'm just a fucking hand. You you can't see it because this is a podcast, but I'm making hand puppet motions. Yeah, he is. And I'm just I'm just looking at my notes right now. <laughs> She's just looking away from me because she doesn't want to deal with this. Because I have to deal with weirder things. <laughs> and I don't need any more weird in my life. Well, I don't mind more weird in my life. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we're actually almost done with this session. Uh, so Tailspinner mentions legalizing, in quotes, sunshade. And giving us a place on the map. Yep. And Neftolius the spirit wants to come with us back to Sunshade. And that's actually it, because we ended up stopping at 1 a.m. during that session. Yeah, that was a really long session. But you guys also, like, found out the secret at, like, 1130. And I was like... And I th- I feel like I literally asked you guys, like, there's about to be a fight coming up. Like, when they- you mentioned that, I feel like I went... There's about to be a fight coming up. Do we want to stop here or not? And, like, you know, at that point, we all were kind of working, like, fucking retail jobs. So, like, being up at whatever o'clock in the morning didn't matter to most of us. So Most of us. So, anyway, so that's going to end uh, this episode of Let the Good Dice Roll. If you have any questions you want to ask us about mage lore, vampire lore, werewolf lore, exalted lore, LARPing, table topping in general. Video games! Video games, what the fuck that we're running, what the fuck that we're doing, um, different shit. Um, you can hit me up on Twitter at a pair of dice lost. That's all one word, obviously, because it's fucking Twitter. Or you can also hit me up on a pair of dice lost at gmail.com. I actually made us a fucking uh, oh. email to uh, get messages sent to neat um you know whenever that you email us just let us know what name that you want to use uh for your question and we will be sure to answer it uh any kind of table topping stuff in general any kind of war stuff if you want us to do an episode on like a war deep dive into clan samisi or fucking uh whatever like or Lasambras, or like you know, Malkavians. Malkavians. God, I would love. I would. I, we could have an entire. Uh, like, I say those three because those are my three favorites. But <laughs> okay, so like two of those are good, and one of those is like the worst. Which one's the worst? You. Which one do you think is the worst? I don't know. I like Trebir, Malkavian, and Rapno, so I'm curious. Which what one do you think is the worst, Christina? I don't have a. Uh, these are literally all my three. Faves. It's Tremere, by the way. 
Why don't you like your beer? Uh, because they make gargoyles and like they're they're kind of assholes. And they're like more a- like when I say they they may not be as much of an asshole as like Zamisi are, but like Zamisi had there's like there's nothing wrong with Zamisi. There's nothing. Okay, cool. So, uh, next episode is going to be Vampire the Masquerade clan fights, I guess. Um, So, anyway. I've got Malkavians on my side. Good fucking luck. Listen here, Malkavians are the best fucking clan ever. Because Malkavians' way of determining if you have respect is by pranks. And you know what's the best prank that you can fucking pull? Is that the best prank you can write on your goddamn character sheet is, which I had a player do for a game? The Cold War. Yeah, I've heard that story. <laughs> that's that's the best fucking prank ever. Anyway, so, like I said before, on Twitter, at a pair of dice lost, uh, at Gmail, if you want to send in questions, at a pair of, not at, but a pair of dice lost at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to any this episode, but we're on a little bit of a time crunch tonight. Yeah, we actually have to go and play D&D, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, any closing notes, closing thoughts that you want to leave people with? Well, that was the end of the Killer Queen arc. That was the end of the Killer Queen arc, um, which also means that it's the last time that Seeker got played. Yep. Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler. It'll it'll get mentioned pretty much right at the beginning of the next episode. Uh, Seeker ends up taking the deal with Star and going to Yushan. That's because uh, Devin decided he didn't. He decided with the way I wanted to go with my character went too much with his, and he wanted me to be able to play my character how I wanted to. So he ended up playing a different character and gave Storm his whole spy network. And because Wibbly Wobbly Time and Fate, mm-hmm. everybody remembered it as Storm Spy Network and not Seeker. Most people did not except remember except for you and Percival. Yep, most people did not remember Seeker except for Storm because they were together. And Percival still had a little bit of an intimacy for Seeker. So that's a spoiler for the next, the very beginning of the next session. Yep. Um, so for a pair of Dice Lost podcasting channel, I was Brendan. It's Christina. And we hope you all have a great night and enjoyed the episode.